This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Today, we are going to look at how our inner critic can be harmful to our child. And beyond that, we'll look at the effect our inner critic has on our own well-being. Before we get started, I have a question for you guys. If we had called this episode, How Your Inner Critic Affects You, would you have been as quick to click on it? So there's no right answer here, but part of being a wide-awake parent is checking in to help us foster our own self-awareness. If you think you probably would not have been as quick to listen to a show that focused on you, just recognize that reluctance to attend to yourself if that came up. And recognize your commitment to improving your parenting. Since we are here now, Let's focus on the love and compassion we feel for our children and share some of it with ourselves today. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave you hanging. We are going to talk about the effects of a critical inner voice on your child's development. We'll explore the benefits of self-compassion. I think it's really important to look at this closely because when I ask people about their self-compassion, I find a big worry is that growing this will make them selfish or self-involved, something that causes us as parents a lot of shame. Well, researchers have found it's the exact opposite. Self-compassion makes us more connected and more compassionate towards others. At the end of our show, I'll make some recommendations for how to foster a compassionate voice for ourselves every day. So how does a voice that lacks self-compassion or is critical affect our child? Having a tough inner critic affects our children because we model this whether we realize it or not. Parents are often skeptical about this because we go through great lengths to encourage our children and we think they're not hearing this. But a critical inner voice leads to a critical mindset. It forms the way we view things with judgment. Something usually has to be someone's fault, and as parents, we often make it ours. Let's say your child pulls down some toys and knocks over a vase with flowers. You may stop yourself from being upset with them, but when we're used to this pattern of criticism, it goes somewhere. That's not your fault. Mommy shouldn't have placed that there. Or your older sister knows better than to put those there. Your child's still learning that criticism is the go-to during a stressful situation. And even if you do not criticize them, they learn how to self-criticize from observing you. And they even see this as something expected of them in order to create or maintain relationships. 
So even if you think you do a good job of not vocalizing your self-criticism around your child, I'm going to challenge you to reconsider this, as it is hard to turn off something that becomes an unconscious habit. The voice in our head cannot help but pop out at our partner, the clerk at the grocery store, and our children. Our inner critic affects the way we interact with others. It affects our confidence level how or if we will advocate for ourselves, the decisions we make about our own self-care, and the risks we won't take. And here are a couple other ways this directly affects our parenting. We lack clarity about ourself and our behavior when we are unkind to ourself. Our negative self-view becomes so overwhelming that we may not acknowledge our actual faults. And then we may be really tough on ourselves for honest mistakes. Not only does this teach our children to beat themselves up when they get something wrong, it makes us harder to gauge. We seem unpredictable, and they have trouble connecting our behaviors, our reactions, and our values. This makes our expectations seem unpredictable as well. So learning what is an appropriate and desired behavior in the household just takes longer. And this lack of understanding around our own behavior makes us less accountable in our relationships, something we really need in order to earn trust. Our worldview is also impacted by our critical thinking. Our children hold on tight to everything we say. As babies, they're learning language, and then as they get older, they're creating schemas for their feelings and experiences. They're trying to figure out, where does this all go? Anger? How do we feel about it in our family? Is it shameful? Powerful? Just let me know and I will follow your lead. They're watching to see how we problem solve things and what our values are. When our kids are little, it's their developmental job to view the world the way we do. So they know what's safe, what isn't, how to build relationships, and how to be a family member or community member. Questioning all of these things is their developmental job in adolescence, but that's another episode. So for the most part, we're their narrative for the world. If we believe the world is a tough place full of terrible things that make our life difficult, they will get this memo. When I was training as a child psychologist, I had an amazing supervisor who would tell our cohort, I am going to be the voice in your head. And she was. All her compassion and support from our meetings came with me to every child I would see, and I was able to pass that voice along to them. I was able to go easy on myself as I was learning, and this made it easier for me to see my mistakes, get help with them, and apologize or repair if I needed to. Because her voice kept telling me this was the process, and I could accept myself fully as I learned to be a therapist. This is what we do as parents. Our voice becomes the voice in our child's head. If you listen closely, you can hear your own parents somewhere in there. You know when you can't get that song off your mind? Well, as a parent, think of yourself as the DJ. What kind of dance party are you trying to start? At the end of the day, you're a superhero in your child's eyes, and they aspire to be just like you. 
or if you have teens, they look to you for guidance, even if they would never want you to know that. Think about all the things your kids do, especially the younger ones, to try to emulate you. When we see it, it's kind of scary, but it can recharge us at the same time. Those moments when our responsibility and and our importance are so clear. So it's not the cutest thing when they've pulled all of our shoes out of our closet and dumped them on the floor. But you guys, they literally want to walk in our shoes. How amazing is that? My child seems to know which shoes are the most delicate or expensive and always starts there. So we may not want them walking around in our actual shoes, but what about your life experience shoes? Take a moment and think, would you want your child walking around in your shoes all day? What would that be like for them? How would they feel about themselves when the day was over? Were they around kind, supportive people? If they walked around in your shoes, would they get beaten up all day by the voice in their head? What feelings come up for you right now? We so easily find compassion for our children, but we can have a lot of trouble finding compassion for ourselves. If in this moment you cannot find it for yourself, recognize this, and then I challenge you to imagine your child when they are your adult age. The age you are right now. Do you see them? Who do you want inside their head? You're planting that seed right now. So what does our research say about self-compassion? Findings suggest that self-compassion connects us more to others, not less. It improves the reality with which we view ourselves. So people that have self-compassion are motivated and hold themselves accountable to a standard. They don't let themselves off the hook for bad behavior. They're more able to confront and deal with their shortcomings. And those that practice self-compassion actually have less self-pity or selfishness and greater compassion for others. One of the most consistent findings in the research literature is that greater self-compassion is linked to less anxiety, depression, and stress. When we're practicing self-compassion, we let go of self-criticism. And self-criticism is a known predictor of anxiety and depression. When studied, those who were found to have more self-compassion also had greater emotional intelligence, wisdom, life satisfaction feelings of social connectedness, happiness, optimism, curiosity, creativity, enthusiasm, inspiration, and excitement. And individuals that practice self-compassion are shown to manage negative life events with more resiliency. So how does this affect our bodies? Self-compassion activates our self-soothing system in the way secure attachment and a sense of safety do. If you had a secure attachment to your parent, a relationship filled with trust, imagine that every time you practice self-compassion, your body feels the same relief and support as you did as a child being comforted by this parent. 
except now you're walking around with the power to do this anywhere, anytime for yourself. It lowers our level of the stress hormone cortisol and lowers our sympathetic and cardiac parasympathetic responses. So we're feeling more positive feelings and our body's way less stressed out. Remember when we were thinking just a moment ago about our kids as adults? Wouldn't it be amazing to know they had all of this? And wouldn't it be amazing if you had all this resiliency at your fingertips? Well, you do. You just have to start listening. So how can we foster this kind internal voice and reap all these benefits? What are some steps that we can take today? Well, first, identify your inner voice and say hello. Inner voice, inner wisdom, wise mind, conscience, find them. This voice will not beat you up and they will not put you down. So make some room to let them in. For some of us, this exercise will take a lot longer because we may have not allowed ourselves contact with our self-compassion for a long time. If you forget what this voice sounds like, they're compassionate, funny, they take a broader perspective, and they're realistic. Here are some examples of what this voice could sound like. You are trying your best. You love your kids so much, but you need some help with them. It's important to you to be there for your friends, and you are. You get so disappointed with yourself about not being able to make each recital. It's hard to carry that around. You're running late this morning, but you have a lot on your plate today, and you needed some extra time to prepare. I have found that for some people, it helps to use the voice that they use with their small children for themselves in order to get in touch with their self-compassion. So experiment and start this dialogue. Practice a self-compassion exercise. In this one, you let yourself be the criticizer. You just criticize and let it all out. Then... Imagine yourself as the criticized. What does it feel to hear all of that? And then finally, imagine yourself as the compassionate observer. This is where you can practice what the kind voice would say as they witnessed all that self-criticism. You can find this exercise at selfcompassion.com. This is Dr. Kristen Neff's website. She's a pioneering researcher in the field of self-compassion, and she's the founder of the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. She talks about the importance of taking care of the caregiver. Parents, I think that is us. I love this exercise because she acknowledges that all the amazing self-care activities we need, and they're different for everyone, but they could be yoga, meditation, massage, time alone, They're just not always possible when we're on the clock as a caregiver. So what do we do when we're on overload but cannot clock out? We can turn to our inner voice, always with us, to be our compassionate observer. And let's look at how the mindfulness tenets we discussed in episode one can support us here. 
Acceptance. This helps us to acknowledge our disappointment or frustration by accepting versus criticizing. We are in a more realistic and calm place to start thinking about the changes we're motivated to make. Non-judgment. Now, this one will come in really clutch as being critical of ourself being critical of ourself is quite the rabbit hole. Notice that you made a mistake or you're being critical and practice letting this thought go or being curious about why. Be aware of your expectations. What are we expecting from ourselves? And when we don't meet these expectations, how do we treat ourselves? This is an eye-opening journal exercise. Seeing the list of what you expect from you on paper will probably make you want to give yourself a really big hug. Fill your head with gratitude for yourself. So here's an example. It may sound like I was, you know, I was looking for paperwork I needed and I was running late. I found it and it was way more complete than I remembered. Oh, thank you self from three hours ago. So this example is not really modeling being in the present moment as this parent totally forgot what they did three hours ago, but they are practicing self-gratitude. This may seem a little ridiculous at first, but try to think of what you can thank yourself for each day with sincerity. And listen, when your friends and family try to tell you how important you are, how much they appreciate something about you, do you allow yourself to really hear this? Or do you immediately minimize their feedback with a self-deprecating comment? I know that society trains us to do this as a form of being polite, but I challenge you to just listen. Notice your discomfort with these kind messages if it's there and keep practicing. Finally, let's check in with what may be creating obstacles or abundance in our self-compassion as far as our self-care, our nourishment. Is it easier to practice self-compassion when you're nourished? For most of us, this is a yes. So have you nourished yourself today? Ate well, slept well, did something you wanted to do, got some time in at the gym? Connection. Are you connecting with people that support your self-compassion? Do you have the type of intimacy in your relationships where you can express this? What about the media you watch or your community groups? Do their messages support your self-compassion? Inspiration. Is there someone who inspires you as a parent or individual with their own self-compassion? Or is there music or art that does this? What do these things tell you or show you about your own self-compassion? Transformation. Finally, how may your environment affect your inner voice? Did your child get in trouble at school? Did you get a promotion at work? Think about all the changes that may affect how you feel about yourself and what you say to yourself. So how often do you make space for this kind voice? Do you notice how you feel when you allow this part of yourself to speak? Do you notice differences in how you interact with your children, 
Is this something you want to commit to focusing on? Are there areas in your life where you're kinder and more accepting of yourself? And then areas where you're tougher on yourself? For those of you that want to commit to examining your self-compassion, I'll be linking resources for further reading in the show notes. You can find these by going to wideawakeparenting.com, clicking on show notes, and selecting episode two. While you're there, find your favorite social media platform, connect with us, and let us know what you thought about the show. Next week, we'll be discussing why a crisis does not have to make your child more vulnerable. That is our show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay.